Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And the topic of whether someone is crazy or calling someone crazy can be kind of nebulous because, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of research about how it makes women or men feel when you call them crazy. It kind of makes them feel crazy. It it kind of, I can tell you from my own personal research that it makes you feel crazy. And as Kristen and I were talking about this topic, it's sort of, it's another one of those where you can end up going on forever once you get down into the nitty gritty of it, because you might think that it's no big deal to just dismiss someone whose behavior or attitude you don't like by saying like, ah, she's crazy or ah, he's crazy. But it has a lot of kind of social implications. Yeah. And we're going to focus this in on crazy women in particular or calling women crazy because it's not just a thing that is isolated. There's not one specific type of woman who fits all of the checkboxes of, well, that's crazy. I mean, you have girls starting out. We are boy crazy when we're girls. And then women who don't want unattached sex a lot of times are often called crazy. Women who aren't having enough sex are crazy cat ladies. And then women who express anger are crazy word that rhymes with witches that we can't say on the podcast. So first up, what does crazy mean by dictionary terms? Okay, well, first of all, it means actually mentally deranged, especially as manifested in a wild or aggressive way. I picture lots of flailing. The second definition is being very passionate about or very keen on something in particular. Yeah, I'm crazy about podcasting. Right. Obviously. And and sometimes that does involve flailing. Yes, it's true. Yes. Um, but the one, I mean, that last one that you gave about women who express anger um, being crazy bleeps, that I feel like that's the one that really, really gets me and really kind of ticks me off because I, I do feel like it goes back to, well, that woman isn't playing her gender role very well. And so obviously she's crazy. Yeah. The women in anger is really strong. And then also the women plus sexuality equals crazy is very tied up together. Going back for millennia, for a long time, women have been pathologized as crazy. For instance, if we go back to the fourth century BC, there was a belief that we've talked about previously in other podcasts that women could be afflicted by hysteria. And hysteria today is Greek for uterus. And it results in symptoms including fainting, insomnia, vaginal lubrication, and general troublemaking. Essentially, if you are not acting correctly or if you are highly aroused and don't really know what to do about that, or if you just don't want to, you know, follow the rules, then, honey, you're hysterical. Something is probably wrong with that womb and it probably needs to be filled with a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's probably floating around like Pong. And I had no idea. But now, thanks to Hippocrates, I know now that I have a squirrel inside me called a uterus uh, and it wants babies. Basically, Hippocrates was saying that women have this thing, this organ inside of them that resembles an animal and is altogether 
erratic and that it delights in fragrant smells and moves towards them. What is this? And so basically like you better feed that womb some semen lady like right away. I assumed he was talking about the fragrant smell of chocolate, (laughs) you know. Of flowers. Give give your vagina flowers. No, but Hippocrates wrote, on the whole, the womb is like an animal within an animal. Thank you. Thanks for dehumanizing women as a whole. But even if we look at the word loony, that derives from lunacy, which means a monthly periodic insanity believed to be triggered by the moon, which sounds an awful lot like how menstruation is described. Yeah, that's, that's awfully female-centric. Yeah, writing over The Guardian, Gary Nunn talks about how these etymologies of lunacy, crazy, etc., have cemented a polarization of the female and male mental states. Men being historically associated with rationality, straightforwardness, and logic. Women with unpredictable emotions, outbursts, and madness. Right. And so if we look back at Victorians in particular, you know, those crazy Victorians, I just love talking about them. Hey, there's crazy. Uh, Yeah, I know. I just dismissed an entire era's worth of people. But they were a little nutty, let's be honest, because their the Victorian male attitudes toward women played a huge part in defining female insanity. Men got to say we think you crazy, so you've got to go to the insane asylum. And so in 1851, Charles Dickens writes of his visit to St. Luke, St. Luke's Hospital for the Insane, the experience of this asylum did not differ, I found, from that of similar establishments in proving that insanity is more prevalent among women than among men, which just reflects the perception of a man as completely reasonable and women being these mad beasts who need to be chained up. And I'm sure it wasn't just a situation of men saying, women, off to the asylum with you. So we can all smoke our cigars. Exactly. But also women resigning themselves, if they were in the financial position to do so, to asylums or sanatoriums because they were also buying into this notion of the persistent female madness and Elaine Showalter wrote an entire book about this called The Female Malady, Women, Madness, and English Culture. And she talks about how similarly in the 19th century, the quote-unquote hysterical woman stereotype was well established. She writes, in a society that not only perceived women as childlike, irrational, and sexually unstable, there's that sexuality again, but also rendered them legally powerless and economically marginal, it isn't surprising that they should have formed the greater part of the residual categories of deviance from which doctors drew a lucrative practice and asylums much of their population. Yeah, and around this time, I mean, you have Darwinism also making things even worse, compounding the problem, because the more women you put in asylums, like Charles Dickens himself said, it just confirms that women must be weaker. Yeah. So you've got a lot of weird, like invented social forces at work here, basically being like, we should probably just put you in an asylum. But it was it didn't just clearly come out of thin air because from some of the earliest texts that we have, Mm -hmm. there is already the framing of the unstable, irrational woman. And so continuing this thread of female sexuality and the panic surrounding it, if we fast forward to the 20th century, we have the terrifying emergence of 
the boy crazy younger girl. And I wasn't able to find any scholarship on this, but as I was considering crazy and all the different ways that crazy is applied to women, boy crazy stuck out to me because to, there has to be some point when girls became labeled as boy crazy. And I mean, I was a, you know, I'm a straight woman. I remember being boy crazy when I, you know, hit 12 and Mm -hmm. really up until, I don't know, maybe like, well, still, um, in some ways. And, um, but I wondered when it became known to the broader world that, hey, we are attracted to boys and we, we, we want them. We are passionate about them. We are, it's like the fandom culture that you see now directed at something like Game of Thrones where people are all consumed by that directed to boys. And it really seems to go a lot with the emergence of pop stars, male pop stars. Yeah. And which we've talked about before about, uh, just the culture of like, Female fans absolutely chomping at the bit to get closer to their teen idol stars and how it is so easy for music critics, for instance, to dismiss them as hysterical. Yeah. In 1944, there was something called the Columbus Day Riot that took place when thousands of Bobby Soxes, as those adorable teen girls were called, rampaged through Times Square in pursuit of Frank Sinatra. And the event was described by a reporter as, quote, a phenomenon of mass hysteria. And parents were horrified by this. I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, we hear a lot about Elvis and how his gyrating hips sent parents, you know, just terrified, wanting to keep, send all their daughters into convents. Uh, but Sinatra before that sent girls into just paroxysms of uh, lust, <laughs> young lust with their saddle Oxford shoes. Oh, those saddle Oxfords. But yeah, I mean, if you move forward into the 60s, we see it again on a much larger scale with Beatlemania. Uh, you know, girls trying to jump over barricades, stalking them outside of their Abbey Road studio for all the, you know, for the entire day. And Barbara Ehrenreich writes about it and she says that to abandon control, to scream, faint, dash about in mobs was, in form if not in conscious intent, to protest the sexual repressiveness, the rigid double standard of female teen culture. She says it was the first and most dramatic uprising of the women's sexual revolution. But it seems like boy crazy is more dismissed in the same way of just saying, oh, she's boy crazy. In the Mm -hmm. same way that that same girl, when she is an adult, will probably be written off at some point as being, oh, she's just crazy. Or she's being a crazy witch. Mm -hmm. Or you know what I'm actually thinking, not witch. Well, I mean, speaking of moving from, oh, she's just boy crazy to that is a crazy woman. That woman is crazy and nuts. We actually see a literal rise thanks to science and the Internet. Yeah, I did a Google Ingram search of the terms crazy woman and crazy women. And it looked through, Google did all of its books and its online catalog going back to the 1800s and up to today. And you see a sharp rise in the usage of crazy women and crazy woman in the mid-1960s. What's happening then? Oh, yeah, we have the sexual revolution. We have second wave feminism. We have women starting to act 
in a way, crazy. Mm-hmm. And by crazy, I mean not in line with the former Leave it to Beaver 50s housewives role. Yeah. And I mean, just the same way that hysteria, the term hysteria or the idea of it is tied in with a woman who has a libido. God forbid. It's the same thing. It's, it's the exact same thing, just using the word crazy in place of hysteria. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating to look at, too, how pop culturally crazy women are often not crazy so much due to their liberal gender politics these days, but more because of their liberal sexual politics. I feel like crazy has evolved away from just being terrified of a woman who really wants to be able to pave her own way and mm-hmm. be an emancipated woman to because we've kind of, we've achieved a lot of that but the one area where there's still a lot of achievement to be made some would argue is in the bedroom right yeah you still just have all of these really kind of muddled perceptions of women when it comes to sex and what they want because you know you, you think stereotypically like Okay, well, men want a woman who's like great in bed and they want to have a lot of sex all the time. But when it comes to actual depictions in the media of women who do have a high libido, she is written off as crazy because it's like people don't know what to do with her. Yeah, it's uh, the the crazy girlfriend trope is in a lot of ways the embodiment of a sexual double standard that still exists. Not to say that women and men who are in relationships don't do things that are completely out of line and unpleasant for the other person, but I'm speaking more to that stereotype. Uh, Cracked.com, for instance, did a roundup of crazy girlfriends in movies, and in the intro, the writer describes it as this rare breed of woman who is always ready and willing to have have animal style sex. It's always about sex. Yeah, like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction or Isla Fisher's character in Wedding Crashers, like people who are, you know, competent women. And then, you know, the minute that they want to have sex or a lot of sex or give hand jobs at dinner or whatever, like they're insane. Yeah, that's when that's when things really start to cross the line. And in trying to dig up a, a pop cultural timeline of the crazy girlfriend, in 2001, there was an article in the New York Times by writer Rick Marin, and he describes the phenomenon of men loving crazy women. And he writes early in the article, why do men love crazy women? No one has ever asked the question. So he takes it upon himself to say, who are these crazy women? Well, he first describes someone who very well might be mentally unstable. He starts out, this is the mad, mad world of X-rated eye contact, flirtatious disclosures of kinky passions, mysterious disappearances in the middle of a party, searches for all-night pharmacies, and rash proposals to move to Palestine, Texas. Yeah, and then he goes into actually describing um, women who, who men that he interviewed have actually dated. Um, one is the covert operative with these delusions of grandeur. You know, she, she thinks that she's about to be at any moment recruited by the CIA. And it is interesting, like as we go through these personalities, the links between the perceptions of these crazy women and why men love them and then why men are so attracted to the manic pixie dream girl. It's the same kind of line being drawn because she's kooky and she's quirky and she's different from that other woman you used to date 
because this one's really passionate and bringing you out of your shell. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, well, there's also the type who's the actress slash journal thief because she's so dramatic. And then there's the tragic heroine. And he pulls up a lot of literary examples like Zelda Fitzgerald, the Bronte sisters, Sylvia Plath, calling them alluring but ultimately destructive of themselves and the men who made them their muse. Right. And so a lot of this has to do with, as we've already hammered home, sex. He talks about the Casanova uh, coefficient, that behind the wild-eyed look and uninhibited behavior, men fantasize must lie a crazy libido. And Details Magazine calls her, this woman, the ultimate addiction. Yeah, and, and they ask, well, why why is it that men seem to be attracted to this crazy type? Which, when you break it down, by the way, into all of those different categories of the covert operative, the actress, etc., you're talking about a lot of different types of women. That's not just one simple stock character. But nevertheless, Details says that, well, men with a savior complex really love it because... They can be the knight in shining armor who can potentially, you know, rush in. And you, I mean, I, I will, I will give that theory some credence in terms of the fact that women tend to want to play savior as well. Sure. To men plenty of times. Yeah. Well, you know, they look at, they look at the bad boy, how women always want the bad boy. Yeah. And compare it to men wanting the crazy woman. And, and more than one person said, Something along the lines of like, well, you you date it, you don't marry it. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of the bad boy, and by the way, this is like a, a late note that this is a very heteronormative conversation um, because it's always the assumption that men are drawn to the crazy woman. Um, but there's that danger aspect as well, where the closer she skates to the edge, the more enchanting she's become. But in speaking to details, I felt like Parker Posey actress, um, one of my favorites actually, summed her up really well because Posey has played so many crazy types. Even in the most recent uh, season of Louie, she comes on in a fantastic character who's clearly mentally unstable. Mm -hmm. And I felt like she had a, a really solid grasp of digging through all of those tropey kinds of things into the element that really drives that dynamic. Yeah, I would just like to say that I one of my favorite movies is Broken English. Oh, with, I haven't seen it. With that. Parker Posey. Yeah. Awesome movie. And again, she plays this very like lovely, delicate, fragile, mentally unstable woman who doesn't know how to handle relationships. But anyway, Two details, she said, I think whenever you're taken by someone, be it male or female, who has the potential to lose themselves or to transform in front of you, there's something very attractive about that. It has the ability to transform you because someone has just thrown the marbles on the floor and you don't know when they're going to do it again. It's not a relationship based on trust. And and what that quote made me think of was just those like, super intense relationships, you know, maybe you've been in one, maybe you've seen a friend be in one that are obviously so unhealthy and they obviously are so bad for each other, but they keep going back because there's this, this instability, you know, the, the ship is rocking back and forth. And while it isn't 
healthy, it's exciting. Yeah, and the reason why I liked Posey's quote so much was because it cut through the gendering of it. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the one of the main problems with the just dismissive crazy girlfriend, crazy woman, is that it's always putting the blame on something with biology right. rather than maybe something that is going on with that person who's not so great at long-term relationships or something that is gr- drawing you to an instability, to a lack of trust. I myself have been in a relationship exactly of the type that Posey's describing where the person I was drawn to was completely untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. But that's part of what propelled it for so long. That's part of what kept me chasing, just wondering if I could at some point possess this person. Because it does often trace back to possession, which clearly that's my issue. That's, you know, that's problematic in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. And David Rabe, who's a playwright and author of Hurley Burley, hammers it home, too, that I think underlying it all is sex. He says that the sexual state seems more present, more up close in that type of woman. And he talks about, you know, this disheveled personality. And and that's just echoed by uh, psychologist William Pollock, who wrote the book Real Boys. And he talks about how those feelings, those intense feelings, whether it is sexual or just emotional, men aren't supposed to have those feelings. They're supposed to be like robots. You know, we we train our boys from such a young age to, you know, dispense with emotion that that's such a feminine woman thing. And so he uh, Pollock writes that men are trained early to purge so-called female emotions and behaviors. So by dating these disheveled personalities, by having intense sexual relationships with them, they get that fulfillment vicariously. And he says in extremists, woman is pure feeling, very exciting, obsessionally involved, very willing to cry one moment and be funny the next. This is not only attractive to a man because he doesn't have it. But because it's a part of himself, he's not allowed to express. I mean, I buy that up to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, I think it is more fluid than that. But the first thought that pops into my head is that I, I really do feel like the the bad boy is the male version of mm-hmm. the crazy woman. But the difference lies in the fact that a lot of times bad boy relationships are framed as women being drawn to them as something that they ultimately want to save. Whereas men are drawn to crazy women with the knowledge that they are ultimately going to dispose of them mm-hmm. because in the same way that women will say, Oh no, I'm not supposed to, you know, you date the bad boy, don't marry him, but you still want to, you yeah. know, it's still that thing. Whereas, <laughs> and it's crass, but I've heard it echoed among guy friends of you have sex with crazy, but you don't take her on a date. Mm. And to take this conversation to an even grittier level, let's ramp it up from just the crazy girlfriend to the crazy B word, because that is an even more recent escalation of all of this, of which is be crazy. <laughs> It is Halloween season. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at an excellent slash terrible way to dismiss a woman who is not talking to you the way you want her to or holding the attitude that you think she should, it is so easy to say that bleeps be crazy. Well, and I think that bleeps be crazy, too, is a product of 
the expectations of, of of a woman performing sexually in one way or another, and when she stops wanting to act either that way, it's like it's just it's all a catch twenty two, Caroline, mm-hmm. where it's you give too much or you give too little, and either way you're gonna be a crazy woman, girl, witch, what what have you? Yeah. But this ties into something that kind of hit me in the side of the head and made me stop when I was reading a lot of these articles, which is gaslighting. This is honestly, I was not aware of this term, uh, Kristen. I I did not know it, but it it really struck me. Um, The problem with calling women crazy, especially if they're not actively like, you know, trying to set animals on fire, like if they're not if they're literally if they do not have a mental health condition and you're calling them crazy and you're dismissing them, uh, it is a form of gaslighting, which is a form of emotional manipulation that tricks women into believing that their emotions aren't valid. Now, this term comes from the 1944 film Gaslight starring Ingrid Bergman. But what really struck me is I realized that I finally had a name for what an ex had done to me. Yeah. Which is... Uh, this is this person who does this tends to be like a highly manipulative, almost sociopathic personality, and they constantly are making you feel insecure, both about yourself, about your choices, about your feelings, and so that when they do something terrible to you, and you try to confront them on it, they are like, oh, "You're crazy. You're just imagining that," and so you're almost afraid. To bring anything up again. And that's such a cycle of terrible manipulation. Absolutely. And the reason why it's uh, named after that Hitchcock film with Ingrid Bergman is because in the movie, her husband turns down, without her knowing, obviously, turns down the gas lights in the house Whenever she like walks down, I can't remember if it's her walking down a hallway or whatever it is, but it, it's almost like a Pavlovian trigger where whenever she goes somewhere, the lights dim and she tells him about it. And even though he's been the one obviously manipulating the lights, he tells her she's crazy to the point that she starts to also believe that she's crazy because he's completely manipulated her. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that catch 22 so that no matter what the response is to a guy you can be written off as crazy so in your your situation say with this ex-boyfriend if he did something that was reprehensible and you naturally reacted if you there's a pattern of that gaslighting Mm -hmm. then no matter what even if what you have to say is perfectly valid you're still the crazy one yeah, and you I should mean, just, you should just roll with it, Caroline. Right. I know it's it's all my fault. I should have just rolled with it, and <laughs> and it does. Like when you constantly do feel crazy, and you're being, and it's being reinforced that you're over emotional and overreacting. That leads in and of itself to irrational behavior. So you might have been perfectly in the right before, but like let's say you you know you finally feel frustrated enough to yell or to shed some tears or something like that. All that does is reinforce to both of you that you're unstable. Yeah, especially when it's a display, an outward display of emotion, of breaking down, of crying. I feel like that's when the crazy accusations really come out. And a lot of these conversations about calling women crazy and the gaslighting issue is directed at men of saying, hey, stop calling women crazy. But we do it to 
women as well. We can do it to guys as well. It's not like it cuts one way only. It's not like we are constantly just being victims of, you know, men calling people crazy. I have to catch myself Mm -hmm. with the crazy tick, too, because even just by its dictionary definition of ranging from absolute insanity to just really being really, really enthusiastic, it's it's almost too too applicable to too many things. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we talked about how we need to work harder to try to figure out what we mean when we call someone bossy. Mm-hmm. We need to work harder and and not be as lazy as to call someone crazy. I didn't go into that intending to rhyme. But uh, to think about what we actually mean when we're using that term, whether it's for a man or for a woman. And if you're in a relationship and you're hearing that term a lot, to maybe ask yourself, what is going on here? Why is this being told to me? Um, and I, we should also note that in um, some circles, crazy and just the, throwing it around as it often is, is considered ableist because it undermines some actual mental health issues that are going on day to day in the population. Um, but speaking of mental illness... Crazy women is a misrepresentation, uh, even though, you know, in the Victorian era, it was women who were filling up asylums. But if you go over to the World Health Organization, you can read overall rates of psychiatric disorder are almost identical for men and women. But striking gender differences are found in the patterns of mental illness. So gender has effects on the things that we all suffer from, but also how we, how and whether we seek treatment and what kind of treatment we even get. Because for instance, being a woman itself is a huge predictor of being prescribed mood altering drugs. And when you have all these stereotypes of what affects whom standing in the way, or maybe one person is crazy and somebody else is not for the same behavior, That's just a barrier to getting the kind of care you need. Right. And this final quote from the WHO really jumped out to me when I read it as to why the whole women are crazy meme, if you can call it that, is so practically problematic in more of a mental health setting. Uh, They write, gender determines the differential power and control men and women have over the socioeconomic determinants of their mental health and lives, their social position, status and treatment in society and their susceptibility and exposure to specific mental health risks. So there are these massive ripple effects. Things are interconnected. The way that we use language is powerful. Mm -hmm. And this isn't an argument for eradicating crazy. And again, I think that women can be as equally guilty of this as men. It cuts many different ways. But maybe it's an encouragement for you, me, everybody listening to take a moment and consider what we really mean and what we're really hearing. Yeah. Maybe start out with like, I I have, uh, you know, plenty of guy friends who I have heard you know, describing women as crazy for one reason or another. And maybe it's it's important to when you hear your friends, male or female, saying stuff like that to speak up and say, well, what do you mean? Like, what did what did that person do? Yeah. You know, was it was it just that they wanted to have sex with you? 
Or or was it like something like they actually left a, a dead animal in your front yard? Like, what do you mean when you say crazy? Exactly. Um, and unlike a lot of other podcasts, this episode was not riddled with journal citations because I was kind of astounded to discover that there has been little to no research on this. There's been a lot of investigation into pathologizing mental illness in women, but not this linguistic tick of crazy women. Crazy witches. Yeah, hysterical beetle mania. Let's yeah. just continue to dismiss women in every possible way we can. But I hope that this uh, resonated, though, and can start a conversation with listeners, men and women. We really want to hear from you on this topic because I don't think it's being talked about enough. I mean, the gaslighting article went viral. But since then, I feel like it's just kind of been recycled over and over again. There's not been a lot of digging to see like, oh, wait, why, though? Why is this this way in 2013. It's it's a control tactic of manipulators, but why is it so widespread? It's not like it's just sociopaths walking around calling, you know, doing this gaslighting. Well, it goes back. We've been gas we've been gaslit since 4th century BC. So, Let's start a conversation. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can email us. You can find us on Facebook as well and tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And we've got a couple of letters to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to our letters. Well, I've got one here from Isaac. And speaking of the word bossy, as we mentioned in the podcast, he writes, Hello, ladies. Hello, Isaac. First, I'm a big fan of the show. I've been listening for a year now, and you both consistently impressed with your even-handedness on very difficult subjects. I thank you, Isaac. Maybe I'm using the word wrong, but I have two boys, and I call them bossy regularly. To me, bossy has a component of fecklessness, which doesn't always seem present in the usage on the show. A bossy person wants to be the boss, but can't because he's incompetent. Anyway, just my two cents. And that's an interesting definition of bossy. Mm -hmm. And another reason why it's problematic that women are so typically called bossy, because maybe there's that undercurrent of, oh, you want to be the boss, but you're totally incompetent. Yeah, you're throwing a tantrum because you can't be. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So thanks for that observation and for listening, Isaac. And I have a letter here from Catherine in response to our uh, Diamond Engagement Ring episode. And she wanted to answer our inquiry that we put out regarding gay and lesbian couples and their take on engagement rings. Uh, she says, my girlfriend and I had been discussing marriage and what we wanted to do about rings for a couple of months before we got engaged. Neither one of us saw the value of getting expensive rings, and my now fiancé specifically didn't want a diamond. We did both agree, though, that we wanted engagement rings to symbolize our promises and love. I was, based on my job and our relationship dynamic, the person who was going to do the asking and the ring buying. I found an independent jewelry maker on a website with nature-inspired wedding band and engagement ring sets made from reclaimed silver and gold and recycled or responsibly sourceable stones. All things that really matter to us in the ring buying process. Our rings coordinate but don't match. They both look like tiny bird's nests surrounding a single stone on a silver band. Mine is white topaz with a gold nest and hers is a gray pearl with a silver nest. We adore them. They are so much more reflective of our personalities and represent our relationship, in our opinion, better than a diamond ring could have. Long story short, I ordered them and when they arrive, I planned a weekend away to make it official. So thank you for your email, Catherine, and congratulations. 
Yeah, and thanks to everyone who's written in. Mom's Tough at Discovery.com is where you can send your emails. You can find us over on Facebook. Send us a message. Like us while you're at it. And you can follow us on Twitter at Mom's Stuff Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, where we post so many fantastic photos that I'm sure you'll love. And speaking of loving, we've got more than 100 videos that you might love over on YouTube. Seriously, the Stuff Mom Never Told You YouTube channel is huge. So head on over to youtube.com slash Stuff Mom Never Told You. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 